What can we do to fight back against big pharma and the compromised medical industry? We can become healthy and break free from the perpetual cycle of being poisoned by criminal organizations like most pharmaceutical companies. Come check out what may be the most powerful antioxidant known to man, C60 Purple Power. The benefits of C60 have been personally outstanding. I use it every day and I feel incredible. I have tons of energy, I sleep great, and I haven't even come down with a cold since I started using C60 over two years ago. You can even get C60 for your pets. Do your own research, click the link in the description, and check out their website. If you order from that link or use coupon code KNOWLEDGE10, you get 10% off your order plus free shipping. What is your health worth to you? Welcome back to Forbidden Knowledge News. I'm your host, Chris Matthew. Tonight, my guest is Brian Kelly. Before I bring him on, I have to thank C60 Purple Power. C60 may be the most powerful antioxidant known to man. It acts as a free radical sponge, eliminating toxins in the body. I feel better than I've felt in years, and you really should too. Uh, check out their website to learn more. You can just click the link in the description or visit c60purplepower.com. If the link uh, doesn't work, you can use coupon code KNOWLEDGE10, and you're going to get 10% off your order plus free shipping. Uh, remember to subscribe to Forbidden Knowledge News on LBRY.TV, our official backup channel, and our awesome premium platform, Rockfin. If you haven't checked out Rockfin already, all the epic content and content creators there, you really need to. It's really awesome. Uh, Forbidden Knowledge News Con 2021 is now going to be held on Rockfin. That's happening this Friday. It's Friday, uh, the 2nd, 3rd, and 4th, all weekend on Rockfin. We're going to have 12 awesome presenters. Uh, visit rockfin.com slash fknplus or click the link in the description to sign up. You can go to forbiddenknowledge.news and check out the lineup. You're going to get access to this year's conference, last year's conference, and the most stellar premium content from us and many, many other content creators. Uh, you can also sign up for a free account just to check out and see what it's all about. Uh, but you are going to want that premium. I'm telling you, it's great stuff. Uh, and that's this Friday. So go ahead and sign up now. You don't want to miss that. Uh, tonight, I want to welcome Brian Kelly. He is an attorney who has spent most of his working career as a computer programmer. His computer resume is long and impressive with skills covering nearly every facet of modern computing. He has brought both sets of skills to Get Wisdom Project that he conceived when encountering Carl Molazon and Denny Hunt's videos on YouTube. At the time, he was looking to get more involved in internet marketing. The moment he became aware of Carl's work, he immediately realized that this is what he needed to promote. Ryan, welcome. How are you doing? Doing good, Chris. Glad to be here. Yeah, welcome. Um, tonight, we're going to be talking about a lot of stuff Besides Get Wisdom, we're going to be discussing the Anunnaki. Um, whenever Denny was on, he told me about uh, the, the research you've done, and it mm -hmm. was very fascinating. I want to talk a little bit about who they were, where they're from, what were their goals, and even where are they now, uh, if they're sure. still around, and how they've controlled our reality for basically thousands of years. Right. Um, I've had dozens of researchers on that 
gave dozens of different versions of who and what the Anunnaki were. Uh, mm-hmm. So I'm very interested to hear. Me. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I'm very interested to hear what you have to say. Uh, it was very compelling um, when Denny was here when he was explaining some of the research you've done. Yes. First, um, how did you get started working um, with Denny, and and what also got you looking into some of the topics like the Anunnaki? Well, you know, I've uh, I began looking into issues of par- the paranormal psychology. Uh, who we were, where we came from, religions, world religions, I was raised a Catholic. Uh, So I've always had a deep curiosity about who we are, what makes us tick, where are we going, where have we come from. Uh, I have a degree in psychology, that's my undergrad before getting the law degree. Uh, So I've always been fascinated, you know, by spirit and the idea of that we are more than just this shell that we occupy. You know, and, and that begs all the other questions of, is there life after death, is there reincarnation? Uh, what is our fate beyond this life, et cetera, et cetera. Well, you know, you can't start unwrapping all that without running into all the woo-woo topics, you know, everything from demons and, and bad spirits to the extraterrestrials, you know, and, and whether they exist and what they're all about and so on and so forth. Um, so I just looked at everything across the board. You know, I've studied, you throw a name at me, I'm probably at least familiar with it. So uh, I've sp- been studying this stuff since about 1983. So I got, you know, 30, almost 30 years, 30, 40 years, actually, of, of deep research into every topic that is woo-woo, essentially. Um, I, you know, consider it kind of a hobby uh, for the most part. Uh, you know, I live a very ordinary life. I work a very ordinary job. Um, I'm not out to, you know, impress anybody. I'm not out to convert anybody or I don't have a particular agenda that would get wisdom. I did end up, you know, joining Carl and Denny because I saw Carl do a channeling of Dwight Eisenhower on YouTube. And it just resonated with me very powerfully. And I thought, wow, that really makes sense. And I thought, you know, I have my computer services that I can offer uh, to help them out. So I, I, called up Carl out of the blue on a Sunday afternoon and uh, happened to get him. And we ended up having a two hour conversation right then and there on the phone. And uh, he invited me to check out his work, to take a class that he was scheduled uh, to perform in about a couple of months from that phone call. And I ended up going to that class, learning the Lightworker Healing Protocol, which is our, our main focus at Get Wisdom is getting people to learn that and use that. We can talk about that a little down the road. Um, and that's how I got involved. And I, during that training, I said, Hey, Carl, you know, how would you like a website? I'll put one up for you. Uh, how would you like to you have a video server? Cause I can actually serve video uh, from our own server without having to rely on YouTube or any of the other uh, big tech organizations. So uh, we serve our own podcasts. Um, I'm even working on my own email server right now to get that going. So we have our own infrastructure and we're independent of, of big tech. And I thought that was important even three going on four years ago, you know, oh, it's yeah. more important than ever now. So my, my vision was a little, um, hey, did you have any paranormal or, um, contact or any type of, uh, strange experiences yourself? Well, um, nothing that is like, you know, uh, extremely opening. But I've had uh, some interesting things. Uh, I actually, um, in 1986, I went and visited Dr. Greer uh, and spent a week with him in his training. And uh, prior to going there, 
I had um, used a um, set of night vision goggles, which I don't own anymore. I wish I still had them. Uh, but I'd gone out in my yard and I looked up into the sky and I saw a zigzag light go across the entire horizon of the earth. You know. uh, another time, uh, me and my wife were getting ready to move to our current location and we were in our old house. And I was laying in bed and all of a sudden I woke up at, it was about uh, three o'clock in the morning. And I just heard this like kind of metallic sound that was like a hum that just went in and out. I was like, mmm, mmm, mmm. And it just, and it was loud, you know. Um, and I tried to ignore it at first, but it just kept going for five minutes, 10 minutes. Finally, we both got up and looked at each other and said, what the heck is that? And just, mmm, 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 going on and on. I thought, well, it's really loud. So I went out and I opened the garage door and it, and it got louder as I opened the garage door. And I walked out to my driveway and there was nobody out. And I was like, who's not hearing this noise? <laughs> you know? And we stood out in the open driveway. It was a cloudless night. There was plenty of stars out, you know, a little chilly. It was, a, I forget the exact time of year it was. And, um, so I said, well, let's, let's go check it out. So we hopped in the vehicle, uh, blazer I got, and we drove um, just a few hundred yards, exited the subdivision to come up onto a clearing. And I saw off in the distance for just a split second, a flashing red light, a single flashing red light. And then the red light went out and the noise immediately stopped. So, you know, we checked with Creator later on through Carl, and, and that was a UFO sighting. I was not abducted at that time. I, I, I've been told I've never been abducted. Um, but that that was called out to, to see for what, and they said they do that occasionally. You know, they like to do that with people. You know, wow, why that's they very interesting. Time it wasn't. Yeah, it wasn't. It wasn't pretty, completely evident why that was the case. I don't, you know, I'm just sharing what I experienced. I'm not, you know, you make up your own mind about what I saw. I saw, a, I heard a humming noise and a, a, a blinking light. Okay. You know, I, I didn't see any green aliens. I didn't, you know, I'm just, I'm just sharing what I experienced. My thing is, is that I'm just curious, you know, I'm curious about all kinds of things. And so I study, I find it interesting. Um, plus I like to, to try to put the big picture together and, you know, people's testimony, I have a tendency to take rather seriously. You know, I don't like, unlike a lot of people, I don't think everybody's a liar. <laughs> you know, So if people are, are writing whole books about their experience, I'm thinking that, you know, they might be sharing something that's worth looking at. You know, I don't dismiss whole categories of topics because the mass mainstream media or my professor at college said it was garbage, you know, yeah, definitely. I'm going to look at it and make up my own mind, you know, and uh, I, people have challenged me on that. I said, you know, let me take a look. If it's nonsense, I should be able to figure it out. If it's not, I'll go from there. So it's, it's just having an open mind is what it's all about. So um, that's how I, you know, I've always approached this and I've kind of developed my own outlook on life. And ultimately, I joined forces with Carl because the one thing that attracted me to get wisdom in Carl was I have a philosophy that... If we can't save ourselves with prayer, we don't have a prayer. And I say that because we are essentially very powerless 
in comparison to all the forces in the world that were arrayed against us. You know, we're pretty powerless against our own government even. You know, we're pretty powerless against the technology and the big tech that's out there. We're extremely powerless against the ETs that have technology wildly beyond what we possess collectively, much less individually. So if collectively we're relatively powerless against the extraterrestrials, how much more powerless am I as a single individual against that? And all you have to do is go read a book like um, Abducted by um, uh, the, the, psych the psychiatric professor, uh, John Mack, Dr. John Mack of Harvard University. And you'll see how powerless we really are in the face of these ETs. Um, Dr. Mack spent a number of years, you know, interviewing people that claimed to have been abducted and uh, found their testimony to be credible in the sense that because of his psychiatric training, he realized that these people were not delusional, that they didn't want to be a member of the UFO club. They led very private lives, they lived ordinary lives, and they were careful about who they shared their stories with. They didn't go and broadcast it publicly. They were in such delusional people don't have to behave that way. And so John Mack brought his whole career, um, his reputation, his expertise to bear in saying that these people experience something. They're not just making it up. And he went through a lot of grief for that. Um, but it, that's something that you can look at. You can, you can look at John Mack's work and see that, you know, there's something there. I don't know you know, what? Everybody has to kind of research and make up their own mind. But that, that's my approach to things. So in that guise, I've studied, you know, everything, most everything I can get my hands on. Part of it is just fascination. It's like, you know, how many people love watching Star Wars, right? How many people love watching uh, Star Trek? Yeah. We have a tendency, and it's, if we could put the label of fiction on it, we think, hey, it's okay. It's, I'm free to go, you know, and I can enjoy it. I can take it in. I can Talk about it with my buddies. Yeah, I started I doing this think, too because I was fascinated and uh, get more fascinated every day with it. Yeah, but uh, my, my approach to the UFO material that's out there, and it's voluminous. I mean, you could, you could spend an entire lifetime reading it and you wouldn't even begin to touch it all. That's how much is out there now. I approach it like it's fiction, you know, and it's, it's fascinating. It's really, really interesting stuff. Even if it turns out to not be true, it was just fun to read. You know, it was fun to read John Mack. Yeah. It's fun to read a lot of this stuff. I guess I never worried about what other people thought of my hobby. You know, I, I, I didn't, it didn't bother me if you think I'm crazy because I know I'm not crazy. I know that, you know, I put my pants on the right way. I tie my shoes okay. I go to work. I pay my mortgage. You know, I'm not crazy. And I, I why can't I have fun? Why, you know, I'm, take this kind of, take a step back. And just look at the stuff as if it's fiction, but people can't seem to do that, you know. Yeah, I can, so that's that's where I went with it. Now we came, you know, you're asking about the Anunnaki. So what have I, in my vast voluminous studies, my hobby of looking at this stuff, what have I learned about the Anunnaki? Um, well, I've, I read all of Zachariah Sitchin's books. Well, I, I think yeah, I want to start there. Um, with Stitchin's books, um, how accurate do you think his portrayal was and the, you know, the translation of the Sumerian tablets and everything surrounding that? Um, I'm, my analysis is completely aligned with what 
the answer from creator that Carl asked came back as. And essentially it came back that Sitchin um, was in the ballpark, but he got a lot of details wrong. And he was a sloppy scholar, very, very sloppy, you know, um, to great, great license in terms of his interpretations of things. But he was in the ballpark. He wasn't, he wasn't, you know, completely wrong. So there's a paucity of material on the Anunnaki in this world. There just is not much that's written about who they were, what their impact on society was, uh, where they came from, what they're about. We're kind of stuck with Sitchin. You know, there really isn't a lot of other material and there's less, it seems like there's less material all the time because we're also told that the Anunnaki have been trying to erase their presence here and have been doing that over time, um, especially over the last century. So uh, Sitchin is like really kind of what we're stuck with. There's just not a lot of other material on the Anunnaki. You know, that said, um, you can start off as kind of a, a, a baseline for that. And, you know, what is the story that, that Sitchin says, you know, basically that the Anunnaki came here, um, that they created human, you know, uh, genetically in the laboratory, um, using a, a primate, you know, kind of an ape-like primate in the process. Of, and they started off with that. Um, and then they created slaves, they mined gold uh, over a couple hundred thousand year period, long period of time, um, took the gold off planet to their home planet in Nibiru, where they used it to create a gold dome across their entire planet to block out solar radiation. Um, and when they were done getting the gold they needed, uh, they kind of let humans off on their own recognizance and that the, uh, the Anunnaki fled the, you know, actually left uh, open physical contact with humans around the time of Alexander the Great and uh, remain behind the scenes today. So um, I've never seen an Anunnaki. <laughs> uh, don't hope, hope I never do, basically. Uh, very few humans have. Um, but they're just reportedly around. They're, they occupy, they, they're on the moon, they're on Mars, they are in underground bases. Um, so they, they, they are around and supposedly they are the ones behind the scenes of our political and financial systems as well. That they, that above the Illuminati are the Anunnaki. Now, what time period did they first come to, uh, to our planet? Um, according, I don't remember what Sitchin said about it. Um, so what Creator says, because we've asked, is that the Anunnaki uh, came here millions of years ago. And in fact, according to Creator, um, there have been two seedings of, of humans on planet Earth. So the first seeding was many millions of years ago. And also at the time, Earth was orbiting our, our twin binary star. It was not even orbiting the current sun. Uh, I don't know if you're aware of that, but we are in a binary star system. Um, we have a dead brown dwarf as our twin. But we're told that the, um, that was not always the case and that that brown dwarf was once a lit sun 
and that the Earth as we know it today uh, at that time was orbiting that twin star. Um, we're told the Anunnaki annihilated that first seeding of Earth, the first human population, and that they also um, killed the star. They used their technology to burn out the star. So they they didn't want us around. They were they were PO'd at the humans that lived at that time. They were through with them. Uh, apparently, like the humans today, the humans back then made terrible slaves. <laughs> they weren't very cooperative. Uh, they were hard to control. They were not rewarding to deal with over a long period of time. And eventually the Anunnaki said, well, we're done with you. And they chose to wipe them out. So that tells you a little bit about the Anunnaki. Yeah, definitely. These are not, these are not nice beings, you know. Now, based on what um, was channeled uh, through Creator by Carl, um, mm -hmm. they did come here to basically make slaves to mine gold uh, for their planet? Well, yes. So <clears throat> that's we are part of the second seeding of humanity. So there was an initial seeding. We're part of the second seeding. There's really no ruins so to speak, of the first seeding. The only clue that there was uh, an ancient, ancient millions of years ago human population is the stuff that comes up out of coal mines. You know, when they find a, a coal seam and they pull a chunk of coal out and there's a gold chain in the coal, it's like, how does that happen? That gold chain is from the first human population millions of years ago. Um, or if they drill down an oil well and bring up, you know, a, a human artifact, uh, that may be from the first the first human civilization from millions of years ago. Um, eventually, uh, Earth migrated um, from the orbit around the uh, old dead star to eventually come to orbit around our sun. And that was a process that took millions of years. You know, um, turns out the dinosaurs, the whole age of the dinosaurs was between the two human populations, not before. So the dinosaurs were arose up and populated the earth uh, after the annihilation of the first uh, civilization of humans by the Anunnaki. Uh, we were told that the dinosaurs were brought here and created by creator, a divine kind of intervention to cleanse the negativity from the planet. That's why everything was giant. To, to burn off the, the collective negative energy from that uh, difficult past. Um, anytime you create trauma, trauma can persist indefinitely. And earth is a living being like we are. So if you traumatize the earth, that trauma doesn't dissipate without something doing the dissipating, something that comes in and actually transforms that energy. So a lot of trauma, a lot of aggressive energy uh, required big plants and big animals, you know, many of them violent, in order to transmute that energy and restore Earth to a kind of tranquil place where we humans who are actually fragile beings can survive uh, successfully. You know? So that's what we're told from a creator. I'm not making this stuff up. You know, uh, This is what's coming through Carl. Um, we can always, you know, talk about how Carl came about to be able to channel and all this kind of thing. But I'm just sharing what we have learned in this project. And all this material is available on getwisdom.com. 
you can go and read read up on on all the channelings that have happened over the last four years. There's thousands of pages of them. Unfortunately, <laughs> you know, you'll spend a lot of time looking through that. But um, this is what we've learned about some of Earth's history, and we've learned that the Anunnaki have been around all that time. Now, has he... their civilization is five billion years old? That's what we learned from Creator. Has he channeled any information about the brothers themselves, Enki and Enlil? Um, it yes. seems like, uh, you know, in Stitchin's portrayal, uh, Enki is like a more compassionate brother that actually kind of cares about humanity, and en- Enlil's the, the vengeful god who wants to destroy his creation. Uh, what did uh, creator uh, source have to say that about that? Well, there, there's truth to that. But Enki cares about us the way a farmer cares about his cows. You know, we're not, we are not on a level with him. You know, he does not consider us peers. He doesn't even consider us children. He considers us, you know, pets at best. We are live, we are cattle, we're livestock, right? We were created to be slaves. A loving father does not create children to be slaves. So, that was never his intention. Uh, if he has any kind of fondness for us at all, it's just a basic pride at having accomplished what he set out to accomplish. But he never he never set out to create peers. He set out to create inferiors that would never be able to equal, you know to rise to the level of their uh, longevity, their intellectual capability, their technology. They would, that was never part of the plan. And, um, and so that's what he did. Now, that said, he succeeded, right? So he, he set out to create a worker that could replace the Anunnaki that rebelled in the gold mines. And uh, he was succeeded at that project. So his brother Enlil was simply jealous at his accomplishments because as someone who accomplished the, uh, the task of creating a worker force, he became the hero of all the Anunnaki that had to otherwise work the mines. He became the hero of the people back home because that meant that the gold was going to be delivered to help save their planet in the long run. He became the hero of his father, Anu, whereas Enlil didn't pull off an accomplishment nearly as prestigious as attention getting and jealous, you know, just, it's just, just simple sibling rivalry at the end of the day. Do you want to learn how to remote view? Now is your chance. The International Remote Viewing Association is offering eight weeks of remote viewing classes instructed by my friend Michelle Freed. Don't miss this once-in-a-lifetime opportunity starting Saturday, September 3rd, 10 a.m. Pacific. The course is only $150, and for members of the IRVA, it's only 110. Just visit irva.org slash events slash registration to sign up now. Now, um, you, uh, you, you said it's pretty accurate that they basically um, modified hominid DNA. Uh, they were using their own to modify it with. Is that right? Well, that's what Sitchin says. Okay. We asked Creator, Carl asked Creator, and what they encountered was not a simple hominid. They encountered humans, the divine human, in fact. And in fact, the human that they encountered um, 
It depends on, again, how you look at it. The Garden of Eden story is actually somewhat accurate in the sense that Earth at the time was kind of a paradise. Um, the temperature was uh, was even. Um, the, there was fruits and vegetables everywhere. The animals were, there wasn't a lot of predators at the time. Predators have been introduced. Most predators on the planet, we're told by creator, are brought here from other worlds, that they are not something that either evolved here or that, or that God creator established here. That, so that the, uh, the, the predators are basically foreigners. So like snakes are all foreigners, sharks are foreigners, lions are foreigners, raccoons are foreigners, <laughs> mice and rats are foreigners. So all the noxious things, viruses are foreigners, mold is foreign. These are all imports from other worlds. They were not part of the earth originally. Um, and brought here by extraterrestrials, the Anunnaki, but also reptilians um, uh, as well. So we, that's another topic, but we're focusing on the Anunnaki at this point. Um, so what they encountered when they came here was a human uh, that was established by other extraterrestrial groups that seeded us in cooperation with the divine realm, which is God and the angels. So it was a joint project, you know, uh, there was genetics involved, there was engineering and all that. We were actually a combination of multiple species, but we were designed in cooperation with creator's input and with angelic assistance to create a vessel for human souls, you know, that are of a particular vibration of a particular plane and to come down and have a particular mission in mind. So, the human project is only a couple hundred thousand years old. You know, we're, we're very, very recent. We're, we're this, this establishing the seeding of the modern human uh, happened only a couple hundred thousand years ago. The Anunnaki detected that something had changed on the earth. They were curious about it intuitively and then came to investigate and discovered that humans had popped up again, you know, when they thought they'd eliminated us millions of years ago and we're back, right? But this time they also had another need, they needed gold. And so when they first started getting gold, they kind of ignored the humans on the planet and they just used their own Anunnaki until they rebelled. And that's when Enki had the idea of using the human, the divine human as the prototype. So yeah, hominid, but not a simple one. We actually were much more advanced than we are now in the terms of our connection to the divine. Our intuitive abilities were much more profound. We were telepathic at the time. Um, basically any ability that a psychic claims to have in terms of being able to see the future in the past, uh, clairvoyance, clairaudience, you know, being able to see spirits, all that stuff. Um, being able to talk to the trees and the plants and the flowers and the star. Humans had all that at the time. But at the same time, they were not aggressive and they were completely and utterly unable to defend themselves against the Anunnaki with advanced technology, who themselves are very intuitive, who themselves have psychic abilities, who themselves can see the future in the past or time travelers. Uh, the difference is that the humans had these abilities relatively naturally, whereas the Anunnaki uh, have it to some extent naturally, but rely on, on technology mostly for a lot of those capabilities. Now I do want to talk. Were... Yeah, go ahead. 
No, I was well. I wanted to ask you uh, just briefly about reptilians because um, you had mentioned it a few minutes ago. Were they uh, originally here? I've heard from different researchers that they were the original inhabitants of the planet. Uh, no, the, the the Anunnaki have claimed this forever. Their civilization is five billion years old. They they're old. They've been around longer than the Earth has been able to hold life. Period. I mean, the Anunnaki have always considered the Earth their planet. So during the time of Atlantis, the Anunnaki had left um, to go elsewhere. And they do this occasionally. They come and go. You know, the Anunnaki have reign over the entire galaxy. They can travel in the entire galaxy. So they have lots of projects going on. And Earth is just one project of many. So they come and go. You know, they, they, they send a squad, they show up for a while, and they, they recede. So the, the Atlantis was a time where the Anunnaki um, maybe left a handful of, of, of individuals and then weren't here in force, right? And so that was a time when there was an opening for the reptilians civilization, um, I believe from uh, Constellation Lyra. You know, I'm not sure which exactly, but they saw an opening. And Earth is Earth is a jewel. Earth has you know tremendous biological diversity, tremendous mineral diversity. Plus, it's a it's a DNA repository for millions of life forms. It's a real jewel, and Crater tells us that it's one of the most lush planets in the entire galaxy. So it draws a lot of attention. Um, and the the reptilians saw an opportunity to come here and try to take over. But guess who else saw an opportunity to come in and try to take over? A group called, that creator says, comes from the star system Arcturus. And so within the Get Wisdom Project, we call them the Arcturians. You would know them as the Nordics, the blonde-haired, blue-eyed, humanoid aliens. Okay. And... Creator is the only one that I know of that that calls them Arcturians, you know, and, and identifies what star system they come from. Um, and that there was a war between the reptilians and the, um, the Arcturians, and that war is what destroyed Atlantis. Um, and then following the, you know, I'm not sure we could, I've always been in the back of my mind, it'd be nice to ask creators some more in-depth questions about what happened at the time period. My own personal speculation is that the Anunnaki, uh, you know, knew that there was these two groups of aliens that were duking it out with humanity stuck in the middle at the time. And the Anunnaki love uh, battles of engagement. They love watching war, you know. Just as human humans, you know, human males especially love a good war movie, the Anunnaki love watching a conflict between two civilizations, you know. And so they sat, probably sat back off planet and just kind of watched how it all unfolded and how it all went. And then, um, you know, probably at some point they said, okay, well, you know, enough's enough. And then they intervened. And perhaps with a show of force, again, I don't know for sure. But uh, basically they forced both the, Arcturians and the uh, reptilians to come to the bargaining table and said, dudes, this is our planet. You're, you're not, you know, you're trespassing on our territory. However, you know, um, you could be useful. 
and we need we need contractors we need you know paid contractors to manage humanity so you know we'll you know here's the here's the rules you have to play by uh but in exchange you know we'll allow you to you know partake of some of the mineral resources of earth you can interact with the human population uh, you can perform studies on them you can abduct them if you want you can do different things and they worked this all out, this, this alliance agreement. And um, another group, which the Arcturians brought with them in tow, is the little gray aliens, the grays. Okay, so we learn from Carl, from the channeling, that the grays are AI. They're artificial intelligence. They're robots, essentially. And they are completely a creation, a manufacture of, of the Arcturian civilization. You know. Now the Greys have become their own collective, um, and they are they have DNA biological components that are mixed in with pure mechanics. So it's it's not a stretch to say they're very much like the Borg in Star Trek. They really are. They're a collective in their own right. They've become self-aware. They um, have become independent, and they come. They 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 can manufacture themselves, and they no longer need maintenance because they can. They're self-maintaining. So they become a force to reckon with, and even though they're still compliant to their Arcturian creators, um, the other ET forces have to reckon with them almost on an equal footing. You know, the reptilians and to some extent the Anunnaki. The Anunnaki are superior. The Anunnaki have better technology and better tactics and are superior in every way um, to the Arcturians, the reptilians, and, and the Greys as well. So this alliance is at the pleasure of the Anunnaki. Okay, that's what we're told. The Anunnaki are the top. Now, there's a lot of researchers out there that will dispute that, but this is what we're getting from Creator. This is what we're learning from Carl is that the Anunnaki are the top dogs. They're the ones ultimately in charge. Now, could you describe what they look like? Were they giants, uh, you yes. know, humanoid, but just giant? Yes. The typ typical Anunnaki is anywhere between 12 and 15 feet tall, we're told. Um, they have uh, six fingers and six toes on their digits. They have double rows of teeth. Um, and you can actually, you know, do some research on Google and you can see this for yourself. There's you just research uh, old skeletons, you know, dug up around the 1800s, and there's photographs of skeletons with six fingers and double rows of teeth and all that. Uh, some people call them fakes, you know, photoshopped, whatever. But um, it, I forget the forget the name of the individual. But there's a series out there on on the skeletons in America, you know, ancient skeletons that were dug up and uh, you can go research that. Um, it's interesting because the newspapers in the late 1800s actually carried stories about, you know, farmers and people finding giant skeletons on their property and would actually have a blurb in the New York times, a blurb in the Washington post and uh, a Newman. That's, that's his guy's name. Uh, I don't know if it was Terry Newman, but his last name is Newman. Um, and, and he's he's got a whole video series where he goes over all this evidence. You know, um, there's some speculation that the New York Giants football team and baseball team 
were named because of the giant skeletons that were well known at that era. And in fact, um, according to Newman, the skeletons uh, were basically around, but left, but disappeared from American museums by 1950. But, but your typical historical society museum in your typical small town, it was not unusual for them to have a 12 to 15 foot skeleton on display. This was common knowledge 100, 100 years ago. I mean, it was, that, that there were giant skeletons was as common knowledge as the Tyrannosaurus Rex at the Chicago Field Museum. People just knew that they were around. You know, that they couldn't say who they were, where they came from, but everybody knew that there was giant skeletons at the museums. <laughs> now you that said they changed. Did okay, these, that these beings just, that may still be here? Uh, well, they're not, no, because they've been removed. And according to uh, the research that's been done by, by Newman and many other individuals, uh, they're removed principally in the United States anyway, by the, by the Smithsonian Institute. The well, government. I was talking about the, the Anunnaki themselves, uh, the, if they're still around and on this planet. Right. Oh, they, well, they're still around, sure. They're, like I said, they're on the moon, they're on Mars, uh, they have underground bases. So they're, they're definitely around. Um, there is an interesting uh, incident on YouTube that um, um, the giant of Kandahar, are you familiar with that story? Yeah. Yeah, definitely. And um, so that, that story is that a, a, a platoon of, um, of army went missing and they sent a, a small squad of special forces out after them to, to find out what happened to them. And when the special forces came up on a clearing on a ledge and there was a cave opening, they saw that there was a fire, what looked like a fire pit and the remains of um, a radio that was army issue there and some, some human bones. And just as they were expecting this, this fire pit, uh, this giant creature came screaming out of the cave, holding a pike, and uh, ran through one of the soldiers. And literally lifted him up and threw him off like like he was nothing, you know. And the lieutenant that was supposedly, you know, part of this platoon ordered everybody to open fire, and they were with their M16s, but not. It didn't seem to be doing anything. This this giant this giant was at least twelve feet tall, and perhaps as much as fifteen. I don't know exactly how big. I think 12 is what he was slated to be. And then he said, okay, go for the face, go for the face. And so they all shot for the face and uh, then it was over. The giant was dead within a matter of seconds after that. And then uh, the story goes, they, you know, radioed headquarters, headquarters sent out a helicopter. They rolled the giant into a net and the helicopter flew off and nobody ever saw it again. And they all came back to base. They were supposedly uh brought in and read the right act and said you saw nothing <laughs> you know don't tell anybody but you know soldiers when they get together to have beers afterwards of course they're going to talk and so the giant that you know a lot of military men said the giant of kandahar was you know the best known secret out there <laughs> you know it's like everybody knew about it you know the, the stories were legion it was told you know across every you know, bar, bar stool there was out there in the, within the military. And there was a lot of respect for the people that were initially telling the story too. So um, we asked creator about this incident 
and we learned that this incident was in fact authentic, that this was a genuine Anunnaki individual. Now, I thought, you know, why in the world, this is an advanced civilization, right? This is, this is a civilization that has mastered space travel, mastered time and space, they have time travelers. How does this guy end up with just a pike in a cave in Afghanistan by himself? So we asked Creator. Creator says that this individual was part of an expedition, small expedition, small kind of scout craft, maybe half dozen individuals. And their job was to gather some ancient artifacts that were buried in that cave um, so that we wouldn't discover them. They've been scrubbing their presence on the planet. They've been removing a lot of the artifacts that, uh, that tells of their presence here. And in fact, their manipulations, they manipulate governments, they manipulate militaries, you know, so their manipulations are behind the destruction of a lot of artifacts in the Middle East and in Afghanistan, you know, that talks that that reveals that they were once here. So they've been destroying the evidence. They, they, they don't, the Anunnaki don't want us collectively to know they're here, to be aware of their presence. They don't want us um, knowing about them at all. If they can get away, if they can pull it off. Yeah. There's another um, aspect to this too. You mentioned uh, in the beginning of the show, uh, these spiritual entities like demons. Um, mm -hmm. Now, what kind of role do they play? Do you think that they are actually communicating with these Anunnaki beings, that there's some kind of ritualistic aspect to it or something? Um, the, the Anunnaki um, do communicate with demons, but they consider the demons grossly inferior to them. They, you know, they're not equals at all. They're just, they're just consciousness that can be utilized. And the Anunnaki um, have a much greater ability to hurt demons than the demons have to hurt the Anunnaki, at least at the level of cognition that they're aware of. The Anunnaki, however, are victimized by demons because the demons can become spirit attachments. And this is something that also afflicts humans. So in the, in the Bible, you know, um, when Jesus came across Mary Magdalene, and he freed her from the, he did, you know, did an exorcism essentially and, and uh, freed her of the demons that were plaguing her. Uh, he released seven demons from her. Why seven? How many chakras do we have? We have seven chakras. So the, these demons basically latch on to become spirit attachments and they latch on to uh, the chakras in the human body and then they feed off of us. They feed off of our life force energy that comes through our chakra portals, essentially. So the Anunnaki know a lot of this. Um, well, they, they, they actually don't know that they're suffering from the same affliction, that they have spirit attachments. You know, because um, the spirit attachments happen at the deep subconscious level, which is something that we've also kind of discovered with the Get Wisdom Project. Um, the, get, the, the deep subconscious is not part of the physical body. It's, it's outside of the physical body. So you're not going to discover the deep subconscious by studying genetics. You're not going to study the deep subconscious by looking at anatomy. Yeah. So the Anunnaki have the same problem. They have a deep subconscious also, 
but they, even with their advanced capabilities, they have not um, discovered and cataloged the deep subconscious even amongst themselves to the extent that it exists. You know, this is kind of our race in the whole actually as a human population and why get wisdom is so important because we're bringing knowledge of this, um, this um, Achilles heel, so to speak, to bear, you know, and that, there, and what we can do is we can help the Anunnaki by doing healing work, you know, and removing spirit attachments. So we're, we're removing spirit attachments from humans the same way Christ did as well as from the extraterrestrials, because it's the spirit attachments, the demons that are contributing to their um, rather unpleasant personalities. <laughs> yeah, you know, the source of evil demons, essentially, that at least they're the original source. And now, do you think uh, that what's happening now on our planet with everything going on from, you know, coronavirus to the social unrest to just all the craziness happening is something that's been orchestrated from them at the top? It's a combination of things. Yes, certainly a lot of it is orchestrated. Um, but a lot of it also comes from the dark spirits, the demons. Okay, so they are affecting us and they are um, attaching to us. 90% of humanity has spirit attachments. So nine out of 10 people have spirit attachments and most probably have as many as seven, one for each chakra that they have. And these cause mischief. So they can be a cause of our bad health. They can be a cause of our bad temperament. They can be a cause of our torment and our trauma. Um, and they're real mischief makers. And they do that because they need our energy to survive. See, demons have been cut off from creator, from the divine realm. Uh, the other thing we're told from, from Carl and what we've learned from Creator is that we are part of God. You know, we, we descend from the divine. We are divine human. And as a result, we have an energetic lifeline that goes right back to the divine realm. And we cannot survive without that energetic lifeline. Um, if, if you, you know, think about uh, out-of-body astral travel and there's a silver cord that they report, I don't know if you're familiar with that. It's not the silver cord per se, but it's, it's, it's the idea that there's an energetic lifeline that connects us back to God in, in reality. The demons used to have that. The angels have it. The demons used to have it. But when you descend into depravity and become consumed with hate, and evil. You literally cut off your own connection back to God. Because the force that comes down, the life force energy that comes from God is a love vibration, which is incompatible with the hate vibration. So if you fill yourself with hate, you end up severing the energetic connection from God because that's a love connection. It's, it's, it's physics, right? I mean, it's you know, it's, it's opposite wavelengths will cancel each other out. And the hate is the opposite of love. And so you, they, they collide and cancel out. And therefore, you have no energy. You, you're not getting the, the, for, the energy that you need to survive. So because they're cut off from direct access to the energy they need from creator, they have to steal it from other living beings. 
Yeah. And Go ahead. The reason why they have to steal it from other living beings is because they can't get it directly from creator because it's too intense. The love is too powerful and it cancels out. So what they end up doing is traumatizing a human being and that transmutes the love life force energy that comes from the divine realm. It transmutes it into traumatic energy, the energy of anger, the energy of hate, the energy of depression. And that they can absorb because it, it's compatible, it's in sync with their own vibration. So that's why demons are compelled to cause suffering and to invoke fear and to scare the daylights out of you and to threaten you and to traumatize you and to cause as much pain and suffering as possible. Because in doing so, you become traumatized. You become fearful, you become anxious, um, you become terrorized, and you transform the love energy that you normally have into trauma energy. And you give it off. You literally, like a light bulb, shed this energy out into your, your surroundings. And these demons can then absorb this energy and they need this energy to survive. They will, they will, they will dis dissipate into nothingness if they don't have the energy that they can steal from living beings. They can get some of it from animals, but the humans are the, the biggest source of it. You know, so um, yeah. they don't, they, they, they don't, they don't, they only go after animals if they're in a weakened condition and they don't have any other source, in which case they're probably on the road to oblivion anyway. So, uh, you know, Christ said the wages of sin is death. And he didn't mean death of the physical body. He meant death of the soul, death of the spirit. So the, the descent into evil, the descent into depravity is a dead end street for these demons. Furthermore, we've been told by creator that demons will not survive um, a universal transition. You ever hear the, with the word kalpa? Kalpa is a Hindu term that basically means a one universal cycle where you go from a big bang to maximum extension and then collapse back into a singularity. That's one universal cycle. So the idea is there's multiple big bangs, uh, countless big bangs actually. So there's countless kalpas. We humans, most humans are actually older than this universe. This universe is about 14.5 billion years old. Most human souls are much older than that, actually. So um, this is a relatively young kalpa. 14.5 billion is, is not a lot of time. And we asked, we said, well, how long are most kalpas? What, how long is the average kalpa? And creator said that some kalpas are trillions of years old before they before the collapse but uh, but we may not we may not last a trillion years in this particular iteration unless something really profound happens which we are a part of and are called upon to help make happen okay so the the anunnaki uh, are ultimately in control of the planet they control the planet top down through the illuminati you know, and then they control all the governments of the world that way. They control finance, 
And so ultimately they control us. The demons influence them. Okay. In the same way they influence us. So I use the word influence because we are not their slaves per se. You know, we have free will and we, but, but we are influenced to the extent of extreme anxiety, terror, you know, what have you. And so that does impact our behavior, but we can still resist, you know, we can still fight back, but it can be a, an uphill battle that many people lose. So right. So, well, we have a, we have a few is, minutes. How do we become free of that? What's that? Well, I was saying we have a few minutes left, and I'd like to talk about uh, some of those solutions uh, and yes. what you offer actually with GetWisdom.com because, uh, okay. you know, you can find a lot of uh, solutions within that as well. So uh, tell us what you offer and, um, you know, what people can, can get out of it if they're interested. Yes, absolutely. So, getting, you know, bring our story together. Um, the dark spirits are the cause of much of our grief most of it okay most of our troubles our fears our anxieties our our bad luck you know we are literally plagued we're haunted humans nine out of ten people have spirit attachments so in order to find relief from a lot of our trouble um we need to get rid of those spirit attachments the same way that jesus got rid of the spirit attachments from mary magdalene now i had said in the beginning of the program that Prayer, if we can't save ourselves with prayer, we don't have a prayer. So the Lightworker Healing Protocol is really just a big prayer. But it's a prayer that is very specific, very specified. And specificity is important because the divine realm has a rule that this is a free will zone and cannot intervene without a request. And that request is prayer. So prayer is very, very important if you want divine intervention. Because it won't happen unless you request it or somebody else requests it for you. God is not going to jump in and save anybody on his own recognizance. You have to ask. That's imperative. That's what we've learned through this Get Wisdom Project. You have to ask. The Lightwork and Healing Protocol is asking a lot of very specific interventions. And that's why it's the most powerful form of healing there is. You're literally asking the divine realm to come in and do all these things that are necessary to clean up to say to get the demons away from you, but then also to bring healing to them. Humanity was brought here to solve the problem of evil. Evil exists only in the Milky Way galaxy because this is a divine experiment of free will. Free will is a hazard. Free will has a dark side. If you give absolute free will to intelligent beings, Evil is going to be a byproduct. It is essentially inevitable. This is what creator has learned by going through the creation motions throughout all of time. And if you, if you give absolute free will, take all the strings and restrictions off, it's inevitable that a percentage of beings are gonna become evil. They're gonna, they're gonna fall. Some demons are gonna, some angels are gonna fall and become demons, it's, it's inevitable. So, we need the problem is is that every time the creator sets up these experiments evil wins and when evil wins nobody wins because it results in the destruction of everything so that's why 
this entire experiment is confined to a single galaxy and we're in it. The rest of the universe is on a different operating system. Uh, they, they don't have the free will that we have. So the free will is both a blessing and a curse. It's really a problem, but it's a problem that creator wants to solve because free will brings extra spice to life. You know, um, having everything on a short leash can create a very peaceful, very harmonious existence. And the rest of the universe lives this way. But there could be a kind of a staleness to it as well. You know, it's it's not as not as exciting. You know, it's not not as adventurous. So there's a certain, um, like I said, kind of spice that goes along with having some free will. But you have to be able to deal with the downside of free will, which is evil. So we need a solution to keep evil from getting out of hand. Because, like I said, the, the free will experiments all up until this time. The problem is, is that evil wins, and then God has no choice but to end the experiment and collapse the universe. So we were told that every time the universe collapses back to a singularity, that's the failure of a free will experiment. You know, I wish I could make this stuff up, but this is what we're getting through. You know, this is what's coming through. So getting to our products, the Lightworker Healing Protocol. You can learn it. You can sign up at getwisdom.com. You can download our, our ebook, getwisdom.com slash LHP, getwisdom.com slash LHP. And you can learn about our training and you can take our training. You can sign up for it at getwisdom.com. It's all online. And you can learn to become an LHP practitioner, Lightworker Healing Protocol practitioner. You can also avail yourself of our LHP services. So you don't have to learn the LHP. You can hire somebody to do the LHP for you. And we have a number of practitioners. And uh, the advantage of that is that prayer, any kind of prayer, requires faith, unfortunately. You have to believe in the efficacy of the prayer. You have to believe that you're going to get a result when you engage in prayer. And if you don't believe in God, and if you don't believe in the divine, it's very hard to believe in prayer. And if you don't believe in prayer, you can go through the motions, but you're not going to get the results. So it's kind of a catch-22. It's like, well, how do I learn to believe in prayer if I don't believe in prayer, but I need prayer to work in order to believe in it, but prayer won't work if I don't believe in it, <laughs> right? Kind of, you know, yeah. we can break that cycle. You can hire a practitioner to do it for you. And you can engage their belief in their ability to deliver results. And so you don't, you can have a crisis of faith, but then you can hire an LHP practitioner to do the leg work and healing protocol for you or for a loved one. And the loved one doesn't even have to believe in God. They could be an atheist, stone cold atheist, but you can hire a light work and healing protocol practitioner to do the light work and healing protocol for them and bring them real benefits you know, help them with whatever dilemma they're having in life, whether it is health, relationships, finance, um, whatever difficulty, you know, you can, you, you can focus on the light work healing protocol on that request and you can manifest miracles quite literally. That's wonderful. So this is our mission. This is our get wisdom mission is to spread the word about the light worker healing protocol, the power of prayer, and empowering people 
to change themselves and in a sense change the world as well so if we can't change ourselves if we can't change the world with prayer we don't have a prayer so that's well said brian thank you so much for coming on tonight uh there's so much more we could discuss so i'd love to have you back on sometime in the future absolutely be glad to awesome well have an excellent evening and until next time everyone have a great night